the Godcast with Josh Fritz, where the scripture is honored, the lost are warned, the saints are fortified, false teachers are exposed, and the Lord Jesus Christ is glorified. Here's your host, Josh Fritz. Welcome to the Godcast with Josh Fritz. This is episode 43. No, episode 44, I believe. It is a Tuesday night, day after Labor Day. Um, definitely has been quite the week for me uh, in that uh, last week we took on Kyle James Howard. And, uh, you know, sometimes I hesitate when I do stuff like that because does it do justice, right? <laughs> what a word to use. Does it do justice to go after somebody in the, in a respectful way, in a, in a way that tells, you know, ask questions, try to get answers and about certain aspects of what they believe. And I had tried to do that with Mr. Kyle James Howard and I got blocked. So uh, do I regret any of that? No, only because I asked questions and I didn't get any answers. For those of you that don't know me, you can. Fo- this is Josh Fritz of the Godcast with Josh Fritz. You can check me out on Twitter at the Godcast JF. That is my uh, handle. You can check me out there. And I'm I'm not about promoting myself, and it it looks that way. You know, I it really does. At the same time, I'm just a small fish in a big pond. I realize that. Um, at the same time, though. We're going to call balls and strikes here on the Godcast. I'm not going to let things slide. If I see something that perks my ears up that opposes the scripture and what it stands for, then I'm going to say something about it. So that's probably what was guiding me in terms of the you know, the, the relationship we have with the Holy Spirit. You know, There's two podcasts that I went over that. You can check that out on the BibleThumpingWingNutNetwork.com, also on this YouTube channel of which is the Bible Thumping Wingnut YouTube channel. You can check that out. Just go look, click on the links. You'll find them there. And that spirit that I, uh, you know, of going through that uh, portion uh, or even that topic of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the personhood of the Holy Spirit, I wanted to, I looked at, I came across a tweet of Kyle James Howard and uh, it bothered me to say that, you know, to... To experience trauma, to experience abuse, no one wants to do that. I, I think for that small statement of that, concerning that, I would agree with him. But he takes it further into the point where anybody experiencing some type of trauma in a, or spiritual abuse not to go to the local church, you know, I had a problem with that because there are multiples amount of churches that exist in the United States that faithfully deliver the Word of God, that faithfully stay away from those uh, behaviors. You know, there, there's, there's people everywhere. There's heretics everywhere that are after people, and they're after monetary gain. They're after things that they want to do to advance themselves. And listen, if I don't do well here on the Godcast, that's, that's one thing. I'm not, it's not about that. It's about getting the message out. That's the reason why I started this podcast in the first place. You know, I'm, I'm, I come from a place where the scripture is honored all the time. You know, we're not joking around when it comes to the scripture. I attend a small church. We go over the scripture faithfully, verse by verse, and that's it. It's nothing, there's nothing more to do than to appreciate the verse by verse study of the word of God. And yes, problems do exist. People are sinners. And uh, we're not minimizing those problems. We're bringing them before the Lord in prayer. But, you know, I have a problem when somebody says, no, you don't need to go to church. You know, you need to stay home. And that just, that tells us me that you're either A, training those that are listening to you to be monks that stay in a monastery, or you're making people fearful of gathering together. And that is what the early church had, that problem. They were fearful of what was going on around them, persecution, and 
here we have the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10. He's telling them, no, you need to continue to, to fellowship with one another. And Hebrews is one of those books that elevates the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He's better than Moses. He's better than the law. He's better than Judaism. He ends Judaism. And it's a, a book that speaks to the superiority of Jesus Christ, the deity of Jesus Christ. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. Why not worship him? Why not do all that we can to honor and glorify his name? So the title of this episode today is going to be The Antidote to False Teachers. The Antidote to False Teachers. And I've been alluding to that in what I just said. The antidote to false teachers is Christ himself. He's the antidote to all sin. He's the one that can transform our heart and our life. And that is the gospel message. It's about a transformation that is available to those that believe. And that transformation is only done and wrought through by God himself. So, will I be talking about some false teachers? Yes, from time to time. It may bother some people that I do that, but we do that uh, here at the Bible Thumping Wing. We do uh, look at the heretics and say, look, where is their basis for what they're teaching? Some are basing their what they're stating off of, quote-unquote, social justice. Now, that term can be broadly defined. Uh, as far as I have understand it and what I've looked into, you're imposing a interpretation on the Scripture to right the wrongs of the past, to fulfill Matthew chapter 5, when, in fact, believers fulfill chapter 5 of Matthew. Um, the, the Beatitudes are in a way where are are used in a way where they're perversion of the scripture. And Jesus says throughout Matthew there, it is, it's one of those things where he says to the disciples, he says to those around him, it has been said, or it's been said like this, but I say to you, you've heard this been said before, but I say to you. And Jesus corrects a lot of mistakes and a lot of misconceptions that are there in Matthew. And just briefly on this social justice thing that's going on, it's a drifting and a moving moving toward the left. And when I say the left, for those that don't know political talk, in this country, we in the United States, we have two opposing sides in general. I mean, there's also people that like to dance on both sides. But you have the left and the right, right? You have the liberals and you have the conservatives. You have the... The, those that are for progressives, that are for progress, which is, you know, I use that in quotation marks, progress and progressing in sin, or progressing and allowing more things that are just moving towards the destruction of our society. And then you also have those that are reserved. They're, they're uh, conservative. They don't want to, they don't want to lose what's going on in this country where you have things that are being promoted uh, as okay, and sins of the flesh that are being promoted as no, that's nothing wrong with that, you know. To to have that promoted and to have that uh, pumped into the local churches and to think that this is the right way to go about transforming the culture. Number one, the culture can't be transformed because it's uh, a decadent society, and what I mean by that is that we've endorsed all forms of debauchery, all forms of evil, all forms of uh, everything that's anti-God. And uh, the only way that anyone is delivered from any of that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what's the one thing that Satan wants to do? He wants to attack the very message that can save lives eternally. And what does he do? He puts people in place, in places of power, in places of institutions that were once bedrock institutions of the scripture. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Yale, Harvard, Princeton, when they were first uh, schools that were began in this country, you know what they were doing? They were putting out ministers. They were putting out pastors. What do they do today? They're promoting all sorts of evil. So how far have we gone? We're a degenerate society. So, what is the antidote to false teachers? What is the antidote to 
a sinful life? Or what is the antidote to a need for change? And the changes that's being promoted around today is a change that the past has been oppressed and we have to correct it. Um, We need to change things that uh, happened in the past and uh, we, we, you can change things from the past, but you need to know that forgiveness is only found in Christ. You know, I did not walk on this earth in the 1800s. Nobody here that would listen to me today walked around the 1800s. It was a bad time in our country. You had a, a country that was steeped in slavery. I Listen, I don't like slavery either. At the same time, though, today you have people promoting we we need to pay them back for what happened. Well, no, none of us lived during that time. You know, th- these are things that are being promoted and proposed and trying to level the playing field for everybody, and it, that's not how it works. So the social gospel, the concept of socialism, socialism has killed more people. Think of it. There's the example of Hong Kong right now. There's people crying out for freedom, right? Those that are Christians there are crying out against what they're under. China is a communist country, okay? Communism kills. Socialism kills. And uh, where we have the most free country that we live in, that's what what, wants to come over here. And we have the very groups of people that are proposing those ideas to have the government take care of you, to have the government be the central power of source of all things. You see how that me you see how that turns into government becoming a god, government becoming the source of all things, the dependency upon the government, whereas our dependency should be on God himself. And what am I getting at? Right? What am I getting at? Well, I want to do one thing and one thing only. There is an article article I want to refer to or a tweet I want to refer to that I want to bring up on the screen here. Okay, and we know this person as Kyle J. Howard. It's going to be very brief. I won't be talking about him too much because, frankly, I I don't want to. Uh, it, it could I, it could be endless here if I if I do so. So what I will do. I will look here, and from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, this is where he came from. We have a tweet here in which he said he pretty much sums up his agreement with Tabidi Anabiwe. I, I can't say his name. So we're just going to read what he says here. He says, well done on is there an evangelical social justice movement? So he's let's let's make this screen a little bit bigger. Okay. He's saying there is is there an evangelical social justice movement? So this is the Gospel Coalition going on this. Let's just read this tweet. It says, Well done, and might I add that I took a class at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary with Jarvis and Dr. Hall on race and theology. You see, I would stop right there and just say, on race and theology. You see, you shouldn't have race and theology in the same sentence. Why? We're one in Christ. The church, the Christians are one in Christ. And this is what this is the language that these people use. They use race. They're talking about race constantly, making it an issue. If I see somebody that's of a different skin color that is my uh, fellow human being, I love them. I don't care what they are. It doesn't matter. I don't look at people with the lens of you're this, you're that. Now you're saying, Josh, you're making a blanket statement. You're, you're, um, you're trying to pander. You're trying to um, say things to appease the other side. And no, I'm not. What I'm saying is, is that my mind is not on people's skin color. It's not there. And I can say that honestly because I know what I'm thinking. God knows what I'm thinking, and that's not where my mind is. I wasn't brought up that way. I was brought to respect. Esteem the other person, esteem the other brother better than yourself. Well, you carry that on to those around you. You have a general respect for every human being. That's how we're brought up as young men. We're brought to we're brought up to consider the other person and respect them. 
Now, that is, this, is there something wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. But here, you have I have an issue with what he's saying here is because he took, takes a class with particular people on race and theology. Your system of theology, system of theology, no matter what it is, whether it's whether it's Calvinism, whether it's Arminianism, the study of God Himself, His character. There's one race; it's a human race. Period. God did not make it such that He would make it in a way where we're focusing on one group of Christians here, one group of Christians there, one group of Christians. There is either the saved or the lost. There's two types of people in the earth: saved or lost. That's it. It doesn't. It's not. It's not about color. It's not about that. Okay. Spent a class or two dissecting it, analyzing it, and criticizing its shortcoming, and where it doesn't measure up to Christian faith. So I guess there's an excerpt here of this tweet that I'm going to read. Dr. Jarvis Williams' book recommendation. Again, do I know all these people? No. But when I see a tweet on the surface like this, there's enough for me to talk about that. There's something wrong here. So let's read it. Tom mentions Dr. Jarvis Williams of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary as someone introducing critical race theory into Southern Baptist Church's institutions. His evidence for this claim is Jarvis recommending someone read Richard Delgado's book on critical race theory. See Askell's comments beginning at the 1340 mark. Here's Tom's comments. Jarvis, Williams professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, has urged every evangelical to read Delgado's book. He did so because evangelicals tend to be decades behind on critical race discussions. Delgado openly admits critical race theory grows out of radical feminism built on Antonio Gramsci and Jacques Derrida. You can't follow Gramsci and Derrida and follow Jesus Christ. That book recommendation is enough in Tom's mind to associate Jarvis with a Satan-inspired incursion of worldly ideology shifting people away from biblical truth. It's a heavy charge, especially since it's highly doubtful Jarvis's intent was ever to suggest that following Gramsci and Derrida would be an appropriate way to follow Jesus. But stop and consider Tom's evidence for a minute. Does a mere book recommendation constitute evidence supporting his theory? So he comes to defend Jarvis as a committed scholar. What do scholars do? They read, write, and recommend books. It's their craft. Then here comes the tweet in which... This is the tweet that like blows my mind. So we're going to read this. This is Kyle Jahan re- replying to his own comment, so he's writing further. There is no social justice movement. Flat-out denial. Flat-out denial. So what he's trying to do here, he's saying, no, nah, there's no social justice movement. Carry on. Let's keep going. There is an anti-social justice movement. Well, if there's an anti-social justice movement, I want to be in that one because, frankly, this is a movement is to re- redeem Excuse me, not redeem. This is a movement to come back to the Word of God, to come back to the truth. We have to stand on biblical authority. We have to stand on those things and say to those that are trying to divide by labeling this person here, labeling that person there, label this, label that, divide, divide, divide. That's what the left wants to do. Those that are the, infiltrating these churches, that's what they want to do. Do I belong to the Southern Baptist Convention? No. I don't believe in those institutions in that because you're answering to a hierarchy, and I don't believe in that. That's just a totally different issue. Hierarchy in that you have to answer to the convention, you have to do what the convention once, they're going to send people out and help your church, blah, blah, blah. I don't believe in that. It's a wholly separate issue, but I'm, an, I'm a part of an independent church, right? We are dependent on the Word of God, we're dependent on God Himself to function, to allow our church to function. It's by faith. So he says there is no anti-social justice movement. Oh, there is an anti-social justice movement. Folks that have created their own statement sought to bully people into signing it, created its own pejoratives, hosted conferences and events, making documentaries, and attacking saints who disagree. So let's blow up this statement here. He's quoting somebody else here. It says, in my opinion, demonstrating that a social justice movement exists has failed utterly. That's not surprising to me. No movement has ever existed to my knowledge. This is Tabidi Anabiwe. I can't say his name. That's not surprising to me. No, no movement has ever existed to my knowledge. No organization or steering committee guides anything. 
the various persons criticized, while sometimes friends and acquaintances, have not worked together to produce a joint statement. Specify any goals or take any action, all things necessary to a movement. To be honest, the anti-social justice side bears many more markings of a movement than anything or anyone they, they criticize amongst Christians. They have produced a statement and written a good number of posts expositing the statement. They have called others to join their cause by signing the statement. They have held conferences and meetings expounding their concerns and goals. They spawned hours of podcasts and sermon series. Well, that one sentence is fairly true. They developed their own lexicon replete with pejoratives and hashtags to mark out their perspective and the people who share it. They've sometimes sought to bring pressure on people and institutions. That is a movement. You see, pressure. Pressure. What is that pressure? That pressure is a call back to the scripture. Discernment. Discernment. There is no discernment when you're you're, you're jumping into a critical race theory into social justice. These are these are descriptive terms that have been pumped into these churches to move these churches to the left. That's the operation. Why? It's another big operation that's going to try to fuel people to be stirred on their emotions, to see things that are happening in the world, to go, oh, this isn't right, and, and to have that attitude to vote maybe in a certain way, you know, against those that believe that are in conservatives. They sometimes sought to bring pressure on people and institutions. That pressure, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that pressure should be coming from the Holy Spirit. And it is. And these are the people that are faithful men that are going through the scripture and trying to share the truth. But it's a movement built on conspiracy theories rather than compelling evidence. Wow. So he says here, it's... A conspiracy theory. So if it's a conspiracy theory, rather than compelling evidence, wow. Compelling evidence? That's that I read that sentence as dismissive of scripture. Dismissive of scripture. And that's gonna bring me to my next um post in which I'm probably gonna read this off my phone because if I try to I can try to search for it here, but will do that. It says, however, there does need to be a movement for justice, movement that combines evang... I can't read the rest of this because it cut, gets cut off. But you get the idea here. It's a movement that's built on conspiracy theories rather than compelling evidence. So, I apologize for that noise. The, the compelling evidence is the scripture. He's denying the scripture. Let's take a break. And we'll return to the topic at hand. The Godcast, the place for the broken, not the socially woken. Here's your host, Josh Fritz. So we're still on the podcast here. I apologize for that. I keep, for some reason, my browser doesn't work. So what I'm going to do, you're going to hear this. I'm thankful that I have a backup. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play... Not play, I'm going to read you off a tweet that I had back and forth with Mr. Kyle J. Howard. So let me do that. In fact, I can do that quickly with my phone as opposed to the website here. So... If I can go back, I saved some photos that I took still shots of because I got blocked by Kyle J. Howard. And this is what he tweeted on the 28th at 1258 p.m. He says, there are two ways to respond to a rebuke. You either receive it in humility or you attack it in defensiveness. Given the fact that white conservative evangelicalism is still in denial regarding its complicity in white supremacy, it makes sense that it reacts with defensiveness. So he's saying that there is a a way to respond to rebuke. You receive it in humility or you attack it in defensiveness. So what happened after that? I made a, I, I asked him a question. I said, why is everything about color with you when scripture says otherwise? 
And it's a question. It's a legitimate question because every single tweet, just about every single tweet he has is on that. And I want I wanted an answer, you know. It, does that seem antagonistic? No, I don't think that that wasn't my line of thinking. My line of thinking is a scripture. And again, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but Galatians 3, 28 is what I cited. And I want you to, to listen to this scripture because it tells us exactly what we need to hear. So what I'll do... Let's see. Galatians 3:28. Before the com- this coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all in one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed with heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as I am an heir, as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the, own, the whole estate. The heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. But when the the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Okay, so you got to understand where he's coming from. We're not dividing up people. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And that brings me to another scripture. Be Romans 12, 5, I believe. This is, I'm describing the tweet that I tweeted back after he had said that I was... Well, not, he didn't say I was. He was saying something in general. Romans 12, verse 5. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And he goes on to say, love and how it should be. This is this is how I'm speaking here. It's going to come off as charged, but it's in love. It says here, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of lowest position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. So that's the attitude that we're to have as believers. Not this racially charged speech. And this is what I was saying here. I was like, you're dividing, you're dividing those that are, are listening to you. You're, you're causing division. And this division is not helpful because it's 
people are soaking that up. You know, you're stirring their emotions. You're moving away from the scripture and what it says. I said the God. I said your tweets on this are very divi- divisive, and they're not biblical. The gospel brings peace to the heart, and every believer, regardless of their origin, can take rebuke with humility. Those who don't are probably not believers. I said here are not believers, and then somebody said eh, you probably should mean those that are probably not believers. And I, I I do realize what I said there. So you know what it is. It's it's the it's the fact that. As soon as I as soon as I did that, I got blocked. As soon as I made that tweet, I got blocked. And fine, you know, that's one thing that tells me that you couldn't take what I said. And I said it in sincerity. So this brings me to my point. This brings me to my point because the only answer to this problem of social justice, critical race theory, social justice movement anti-social justice movement the anti-social justice movement is a code word for true faith in Jesus Christ no matter who you are believers unbelievers those are only two groups of people on the face of the earth you're either saved tonight or you're lost the gospel cuts to the chase the good news will never change it's the fact that Christ came to this earth from heaven to earth He lived a life that was perfect, impeccable. He walked on this earth. He taught for three and a half years. He lived on this. He grew up as a young boy. He's 30 30 to 33 years old. His ministry began. He calls his disciples to himself. He heals people. He affirms his deity by doing so. He fulfills the scripture, as it's said throughout the Gospels. He walks on this earth. He talks. He sleeps on a boat. He gets woken up. He calms the storm. He feeds many people. He teaches on the mount to his disciples. He pulls his disciples aside and says, Are any of these teachings too hard for you? This is what the Lord does. He's out there. He's teaching. He's preaching about himself. About himself. And you know what? The issue that I have here is that we've long left that. We're talking about social justice movement. Well, the Lord taught out in the open. He taught about himself. And the message about himself is that he is the only one, the only sacrifice that can save us from our sin. So he came, he bled, he died. He gave up his life. His sweat drops of blood were in the garden right before he went in there, knowing that he would be taking upon the sins of those whom the Father would give him, his chosen ones, the church. Okay? That's going on. That's the gospel. What happens? Three days later, he rises from the dead. Because he's risen from the dead, we now, as believers that are from the past, present, and future, today, to the present, we have been given new life because of his resurrection. Our sins are forgiven. Why? Because we believe in him. We've been called out of darkness, of our own sin, into newness of life. Do we know how that works? It's only in the inner workings of God's purpose and will that he has to save his people for himself. And the only way that's through, it's through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his perfect life. He took upon our sin and laid it on himself so that our sins would be washed away and forgiven, remembered no more, never brought up to us ever again as believers. Why? And what, 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 what must we do? What, what must we do to understand this? We have to come to the grips with ourselves. We have to come to grips that we're sinners. We're in need of a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. Now, brings me to my next point. You have chapter 11 of Hebrews, right? You have the hall of faith as it's been described. These people lived in faith. They trusted God no matter what their circumstances were. This is the antidote to false teachers. It's Christ himself. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, chapter 2. Running toward Christ with an undivided attention. Focused on Christ. You think these people are focused on Christ? They're not. They're focused on their own agenda. Okay? We're controlled by the Holy Spirit. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. 
The spirit of truth brings glory to Jesus Christ. Do you think these people are out there to bring glory to Jesus Christ? I don't think so. What is the gospel all about? It's about Jesus, right? He is the focus by all the Old Testament saints. They're looking forward to Christ. And he's the, new, he's, he's the focus of New Testament saints and beyond. So we're looking back at what he did, right? And he's also coming back. The Word of God is about the Lord Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, it's the redemption found in Jesus Christ. He's perfect. He's better. Looking to Jesus, turning our eyes and fixing our eyes on him. Turning from every other thing. We're turning away from idolatry, turning away from work, turning away from people, and our focus is on Christ. If your focus is on Christ tonight, you're going to be able to help other people, okay? We turn one's mind to our concentration on Christ. Our pace, our Christian pace in this life, on this earth, is slackened when our eyes are taken off Christ. Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the finisher of our faith. He's the chief leader. He's the pioneer. Uh, that's an old episode of mine, and I, I should link you to that. i got to remember to do that. He's the pioneer. He takes the lead in everything. So Hebrews 12, chapter 2, is giving you the focus of these people from chapter 11. They trusted in Christ. Moses looked forward to the Messiah, okay? Christ's faith. Christ had faith. His example far surpasses the saints of chapter 11. He's better. He's the completer. He raises faith to perfection. He never deviated. Jesus wasn't attached to anything on this earth. Do you see where I'm getting at here? These people here are attached to everything on this earth. They want to right the wrongs of the past. The only way you right the wrongs of the past is a transformation of your heart. Right? And that's not done by you. It's done by God himself. He takes that wicked heart he takes that heart that's set against God and he makes it for him, himself. Jesus carried through completely a life of faith. A faith that's absolutely perfect. He trusted in his Father. Who for the joy set before him. Joy set before him. What is that all about? Jesus considered it all joy as he went to the cross. His pre-incarnation, all the way from eternity past to that point, he knew it was for joy. Why? Because he was bringing many sons to glory, okay? He renounced the joy. Ah, I guess I wrote that. This is the notes that I have from the past here. He, I think it's better rendered here. He stepped away from the joy that's in heaven and came to earth, right? He gave up everything in heaven. He came to earth. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. He faced it for us. He despised it. He sat down. What happened right after he went to the cross he rose from the dead, he ascended on high, and right now he's pleading our case before God the Father. He's preparing a place for us. He's our high priest. He sat down, meaning he's in the exalted position. He's never going to repeat what he did before. He went to the cross once and for all, and it was for us. Chapter 12, verse 3 says, consider him. Consider Jesus, right? He's, our Messiah, he's the Messiah, the, the example of a life of faith. Consider means to calculate, to take account. Comparison of the chapter 11 saints, you have the Messiah, Jesus Christ, how much more he endured than all of the chapter 11 saints. Yes, they endured so much pain and opposition for the cause they knew of faith, knowing what was going to come. Jesus Christ took things patiently. He endured the suffering that was due him. He took things patiently. He did not run. He did not flee. He bravely bore it and calmly took against it. Against what? Ill treatment. He was spoken against. He was mocked. He was jeered at at the cross. Contradictions. Gainsaying. He was spoken against. Rebellion. Here for us, what's, what does that mean for us? He took on opposition from the world, from sinful mankind, these people that put him on the cross, right? There were Jewish Pharisees and teachers of the law that spoke against him. He was mistreated by his fellow people. Now, take that, what that, what that was all about, what he endured. Look at him and what he did. 
Compare what Christ endured to our experience. We are to look at what he did. We're in the same position as those uh, that are reading this uh, this letter that's written to the Hebrew Hebrew believers, right? We're we are not enduring like he did. It's n- what we're talking about tonight against those that are speaking out against the the true gospel of God. It's nothing like our Lord did. It's nothing like that. But we can take a page, right? We can take an example from how he dealt with this, the opposition that he was against. He didn't lose heart. He did get tired, right? He was weary and faint. Closely related, those two words. He got tired. It means to lose heart. It means to relax. The race is continuing, and we can't faint, and we can't tire out. We're called to persevere. Verse 4 of chapter, and I'm going to read this section of scripture so you get the idea. Verse 4 means to resist here, placed in opposition. Christ is standing against sin and its practices. Obedience to the extent of death. We know that he obeyed all the way to the cross. Striving against sin, he bore up under our sin. Struggle or to fight an agony. This is agony that our Lord was in. And what we're doing, what we're talking about tonight... There is some type of agony going on there. There are people that we're striving against that are false teachers. But we haven't suffered like he did. This is meant to encourage you, this whole thing, what I'm going through. Comparison with Christ, suffering is a part of life. We're going to have people that oppose us. We're going to have people that oppose the gospel. We're going to have people that are infiltrating these churches that are saying things political, and they're really saying things that are it might come across as something meaningful, but it's really something that's subversive. For Christ, suffering is meaningful because on our behalf, so that we wouldn't go through that ourselves throughout all eternity. We are not led into suffering, but we sometimes God allows it. Discipline that corrects us and directs us. And this is what this chapter is, is dealing with. Chapter 12 deals with the discipline of true believers as true legitimate children, right? Okay, there's a section of scripture here that I did not use, but we're going to go further here. It says here, you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as son. So chapter 12, verse 5 says, you've forgotten that word of encouragement. Completely forgotten. The Holy Scriptures link sonship and suffering. It says here, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. God is not pleased with anything without faith. We're brought to the brink of... Moving toward a volition. So I'm reading my notes here from sermons that, uh, if you haven't noticed, these are sermons that were preached, you're looking at, nearly eight years ago, uh, of which were preached in my church, and I'm reading off these notes that speak to, uh, not Romans, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And these are the terms that are brought out of these chapters here. Our greatest need is to hear the message, to pay attention to the light, when God's word is neglected, it is forgotten. So that brings me to this. And what I want to do, I want to read this scripture here to encourage you. The antidote to false teachers is Jesus Christ. Why? We're not suffering like he did. No, 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 no. But we can be encouraged that if we feel like we are, we're dealing with people here that are speaking up against the scripture itself. We need to defend the scripture. We need to trust God. He's going to help us here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, chapter 11, saints, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Okay. 
and going further on here, it says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. This is verse 14. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Do you see Do you see the problem here? The problem is not with the Scripture. The Scripture is always right. The problem is that, yes, we're focused on these people that are speaking up against the Scripture, and we're going to def- refute them, right? You're probably wondering, what connection do you see, Josh, with Hebrews 12 and social justice and critical race theory and all of these things that are being infiltrating into the church. What does that have to do with that? My final thought here of which why I brought this up is the fact that we've lost the focus. You got to redo the message. It's on Christ. Back to the scripture. Every person, no matter who they are, on the face of this earth is in need of salvation through Jesus Christ. It says here in chapter 12, verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. What was his example? His example was his saving work on the cross. That's the example. He didn't, it didn't, nothing deterred him from what he was going to do. He came to seek and to save those that recognized themselves as lost, those that the Father gave him. That's the example. What are we doing to fulfill that example? We can engage with these people, which is fine. We can refute them, which is fine. But the whole picture, what is the whole picture? The picture is Christ is to be preached. Christ is to be preached. And that's not happening today. It's not being reiterated. It needs to be reiterated. These people need Christ. Not a not a critique on social justice movement or anti-social justice movement or these people want that divisive rhetoric. The message is Christ. It always will be Christ. The scripture is to be honored and glorified. The Lord himself is to be honored and glorified. And the scripture brought back to its position as a place of biblical authority. And that's where we've lost it today. We've gone down these little trails of talking about people and their skin color and fixing the past and trying to correct the mistakes of the past and it's all subversive to take you off the trail get back on the trail the trail is christ he's the one who's leading he's the one who leads we're the bride we're the bride of christ he's the husband he's the one who leads he's the one who directs us he's the one who is the head of the church We're the body. He's the head. We're supposed to be following him, not following people and chasing after people that are in error. Now, if they're in our local churches, there's scriptural ways to refute them and to tell them what they need to know. Absolutely, positively, I'm all for that. But as a whole, those of us that are online, that have these ministries, we need to redouble our efforts on the gospel because that's the only answer to this subversive talk, to the social justice movement. That's the only answer. And with that, I close it out tonight. God bless you guys. I hope this made sense. If it doesn't make sense, you know where to reach me, livebiblestudies412 at gmail.com, livebiblestudies412 at gmail.com. You can go to my Twitter handle at thegodcastjf, thegodcastjf. You can go there. You can talk to me there. Uh, tweet back at me, back and forth, whatever you want to talk about. And also, the hotline is 631-206-7457. Leave me a text, leave me a comment or a concern. Again, redouble our efforts on the gospel. That is the answer and the antidote to false teachers. God bless you guys. I'll see you guys next time here on the Godcast. That concludes the Godcast with Josh Fritz. Now I'll be playing the music to end this podcast. It's a throwback to when I first started to make podcasts and make videos and make Bible studies. It's Ryan Stevenson's The Gospel. Enjoy. God bless you.
restless generation We're turning over every stone Hoping to find salvation In a world that's left us cold Can we get back to the altar? Back to the arms of our first love There's only one way to the Father And He's calling out to us To the captive it looks like freedom To the orphan it feels like home To the skeptic it might sound crazy To believe in a God who loves In a world where our hearts are breaking And we're lost in the mess we've made Like a blinding light in the dead of night It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way It's the good news for us all It's greater than religion It's the power of the cross So can we get back to the altar Back to the arms of our first love There's only one way to the Father And He's calling out to us To the captive it looks like freedom To the orphan it feels like home To the skeptic it might sound Carried me to the cross In a moment my eyes 